For more than a decade, FTI has strived to become the leader in the aftermarket, performance, transmission, and converter industry. We've joined forces with McLeod Driveline Components under the leadership of Top Fuel Funny Car Pilot Paul Lee and now have a larger distribution network, more resources, and more power. Come see us in the pits and ask how you can join the FTI family. It's not cheating. It is the competitive edge. It's time for an inside look at the most powerful motorsport on the planet. WFO Radio, NHRA Nitro. This is WFO Radio. Hey, everybody. We are back. WFO Radio is back as we get closer and closer to NHRA Camping World 2020. Three. Got a big show for you today. Alan Reinhardt going to be joining us. We're going to break down all the news. We're going to talk a little Super Bowl, a little Daytona 500 as we get ready to uh, to get going with the NHRA Camping World and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. Any big news today? Gee, I don't know. Any big news? Now, we have huge news to talk about as Tony Stewart has announced he'll be running a full season in the National Hot Rod Association and attempt to win a championship in the Lucas Oil Top Alcohol Dragster category with the McPhillips family. That is huge. Can't wait to talk about that with AR. We also have Madeline Marconi going to be joining us on this show. Madeline has been on before. She is from uh, West Palm Beach area, Florida, and has been leading the charge to save a drag strip. Now, it might not be your drag strip or a drag strip in your neighborhood, but we all need to support these kind of fights. And she's going to give us an update, like what happened at the commission meeting. Is there hope? What kind of hope is there? What can we do? Is there an action step? And I would hope everybody can uh, stick around for Madeline right after Alan Reinhardt to find out what is the latest scenario with Palm Beach International Raceway, formerly Moroso Motorsports Park, best known for me winning a track championship there in 1995. Or not, or not. I've got to tell you about the people who make it possible for me to go WFO. Today is kind of a tough show. Uh, we lost a, a great friend and racer, Frank Aragona. I, I want to bring on Alan for that. Uh, real quick, let me just tell you about the people who make it possible. I'll go more in depth a little bit later on. Uh, but Total Seal, obviously, and FTI Performance Transmissions. The guys at Foggett, you know, G Gary and Steve over there at Foggett uh, doing a great job. Bernie Speed Shop. There's going to be a big open house at Bernie's the Wednesday before the Gator Nationals. 6 p.m. Garlitz is going to be there. Uh, you definitely want to make that part of your Gator Nationals uh, trip. Phillips Connect, Frank Hawley's Drag Racing School, Marvin Rodak and Sam Tech. I'll go in depth a little bit later on in the show. Stick around. One day you will need these guys and we hope you will call them. I did mention Big Daddy. Tomorrow is a big day on WFO Radio. The International Drag Racing Hall of Fame induction ceremony is Thursday before Gainesville. So I've already got you planned out for Wednesday. You're going to be at Bernie's Speed Shop Open House. But Thursday, we've got Garlitz. And Garlitz is coming on the show tomorrow. Big Daddy is going WFO. And we had a nice conversation this morning just testing out the systems and talking a little bit about it. But this is the induction of John Force guys and so we're gonna have garlits at noon on wednesday noon on wednesday hopefully you can join us that video is already up it has already been created you know i got to go through this whole thing where i create the post and push it out there it's already up it should be in this feed we need every single person that gives a care about drag racing 
to jump on board and watch Big Daddy on WFO. Talking John Force and the Knapp Brothers and Bunny Burkett and Shelly Anderson Payne. It's an unbelievable year. And yes, we have a table and we're going to give a couple of WFO radio listeners the opportunity to go and check it out in person. I'll tell you all about this all uh, later on. But now it's time to bring on the voice of the NHRA, Alan Reinhardt. There he is. What's up, hey. Alan? How are you? I'm good. How, I was surprised to find out that John Force and Bob Fry weren't already in the Hall of Fame. When I, when I saw the rundown, the first thing I thought is, how's Force not in there yet? Uh, and I really wow. felt the same thing with Bob Fry. You know, he retired 10 years ago. I figured certainly by now he would have been, uh, he would have been in because both, you know, are going to end up there at some point. So I'm glad they're finally getting that un, uh, unfinished business taken care of. So the Bob Fry part, I have I have no idea. Maybe he slipped through the cracks. He's one of those first ballot Hall of Fame characters that should be instantly in. But they do make you wait five years. Maybe at the International Drag Racing Hall of Fame, they make you wait 10 years. The Force story, though, I know that. I know that. They have been trying. Uh, you know, they have talked with John about this for many years. This has been an ongoing thing. And John has been adamant about wanting to do it after he stopped driving or when I retire or that kind of thing, except he's not stopping driving. And he had kind of always thought about it as like, you know, someday I'll get there. But there have been people speaking with him. And I think the reality of Garlet's age, of course, we want Big Daddy to live as long as Ed is Kandarian, right? Like we want him. Ed is 102. Garlitz is 91. The guy is great for his age, but you never know. We're about to talk about someone who was 53, who we loved, who passed away. You just never know. And so this moment of Garlitz and Force together, enjoying the night, enjoying the moment, Force going in, Force is on board, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be great. I can't wait. Well, didn't didn't John and Don have a moment together last year at the Hall of Fame ceremony? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Alan. <clears throat> We're going to move forward, I think. Uh, thank you very much. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little trial by fire for good old Joe Costello there. Interesting stuff. But hey, allow me to um, to take the levity and, and pour some cold water on it. Last week, our buddy, Frank Aragona. This is a guy, he and his dad remind me so much of me and my dad, except they have three world championships and we don't. But um, as the news is coming down and my phone starts to blow up with texts and, and whatnot, seeing some things on social media, the reality that, that Frank is, is, um, is, you know, he's been battling cancer. I don't know if people mm -hmm. know that there's all kinds of stuff that's happening behind the scenes guys that, you know, it's personal and all, but um, we lost Frank. And this one's hitting home for me, big time, Alan. Um, what a good guy. What a nice person. Friendly face. Like such a good guy, man. You wanted to be around him all the time. You wanted to go say what's up. And I did often. Um, but we lost him. And it's just very tough. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I knew that he had his cancer had come back and that he was battling again. But I didn't know. Uh, that it had come back that bad. So I was quite surprised when I got the word. Um, and I feel the same way you, um, about him as you do. Just, I mean, a genuine good guy. You know, if you see him out there, you know, forget the fact that he and his dad were so successful, you know, with the comp car in particular and with the other classes that he raced also. But if you ever saw him on, on the starting line with his kids with the junior cars, 
or if some other kid with a junior car needed some help that he would just jump right in. And, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things that most people noticed about him, he was a big dude, big dude. And the reason he was that big was because he needed to be to fit a heart in there because he's, his heart was that big. You know, anybody needed help, anybody was in trouble, anybody, I mean, and I don't know anybody ever said a bad word about the guy. He, you know, genuinely loved to compete, but he also, um, you know, had a very soft spot for his, for his friends, his competitors. And uh, as I said, if you ever saw him out there racing you know, the junior program with his kids, um, you know, he wasn't three-time world champ, Frank Arizona. He, he was dad and was out there having a good time. And, you know, and again, like I said, anybody that ever needed help, uh, he was very quick to jump in and, and do what he could. So it's tremendous shame. I mean, I feel so bad, you know, for his father um, and of course for his kids and for his wife and, and that what they've got to be dealing with. But, you know, he, uh, he did jam a lot into that 53 years. And uh, I, I don't think he left a bad impression on anybody that did met him. I haven't, I haven't encountered that. And, um, you know, Jackie Frick has been real kind to, tell stories to me and and I have my you know how it is Alan you have relationships with people and they mm -hmm. are what they are we see them once a week or for five minutes and you're quick with them but you're appreciative of them and and likewise but then there's the family racers the people who grew up with this person that see them all the time that they do things away from the racetrack and if I feel terrible what do they feel like it's it's a it's a nightmare and I'm um, just so sad, 53 years old, way too young. I think about his pop and my, you know, my like goals in life have become like outlive my dad. Like that's what I got to do. Right. It's um, it's so, so terrible. But when you think about a drag racer, what would Frank want us to do? And I genuinely believe he would want us to go race and have fun and be safe and enjoy each other and uh, talk racing today and all the big news. But uh, I'm going to miss the guy. I'm going to miss him so much. I, I will as well. And, you know, obviously everybody in the comp eliminator pits and all those friends up there, we want to, you know, send our best wishes out to them as they're dealing with this. It's it's difficult. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we got to keep him as long as we did. Um, and as I posted on Twitter, I think one of the funniest things that I ever saw at a Lucas banquet was when he got up to accept one of his championships and he did a fat man floss, specifically to embarrass his daughter <laughs> and it was just an absolute riot seeing him up there celebrating dancing having a good time and and uh you know watching emma's horror while she sat at the table going that's not my dad yeah except it is and that's why we, we love him great guy just a perfect example of uh drag racing and the hard work and the type of people it brings in you know three championships that's very very rare in comp it's happening a little more uh, lately, Bruno is now a three-time. Frank is a three-time. Um, you know, obviously the others, Rampy, Palmer, Moropolis. But comp is not easy. <laughs> no. You know, you want to hear want to hear something though, Alan? I like I'll put it out there. Like it's it's gnawing at me, and I'm so sad about it. And there's nothing I can do. We should have done an attention in the pits on that altered, and we didn't. It was just so interesting. We did some features on it when. Uh, um, when uh, Doug Dahl was driving, when Charlie Greco, uh, had it, but man, like, I wish I could go back. It's one of those things. Like, I wish I could go back and just have the time and take the time of the day and the stars align. You know how it is, um, to have featured that car. Uh, we didn't. And it's well, tough. But it wasn't, I mean, that car was special, no question about it, but you look at the stuff that they did and being successful 
by not following the beaten path, right? I mean, the half a hemi combination that they ran for so many years, the Subaru stuff that they ran uh, for a number of years. And if there was some kind of wacky, weird, oddball thing that nobody else ever thought of, the Aragonas not only took a swing at it, but they were successful with it. And it was just fun to watch because they didn't just come out there with, you know, okay, another small block Chevy and here we go. Uh, they were always doing something that, that was full of imagination to get the car down the racetrack in a pretty quick fashion. One super comp in Charlotte a couple of years ago broke the chassis somewhere uh, over the course of the weekend or in transit. And I remember like, oh, they broke the chassis and then they got it welded and then they won the event. And that's just one of those weird drag racing stories, right? The thrash story uh, in super comp, which just shows his uh, versatility as a driver. Uh, you can go out there and run comp all those years and, you know, jump in super comp occasionally and, and jump in stock as well. Just a very versatile mm -hmm. race car driver. And we're going to miss him. And I think, um, you know, every time we go to the Northeast, the, the, the presence of Frank Aragona is going to be there. We miss you, Frankie. And I, you know, I got a friend who's dealing with something real terrible, very similar, uh, going through it right now. It's just tough. And like one of our people uh, says out there, Milliken uh, fan for life, every day is not a given. Live life to the fullest. Do what you love. R.I.P. Frankie. And I totally agree. And Frankie would want us to talk about NHRA drag racing, the big Tony Stewart news that's taking over the day. There is a rumor that maybe we might get smoke on WFO at some point in the near future. Let's just uh, stick to that as a rumor, but hopefully everybody will sign on. I think this is a great move. I think it's very smart by Tony. Everybody wants continually wants to run this guy into top fuel. And Tony knows that maybe he'll get there, but there's great and very tough competition and very fast cars. And it will be best for him to do this. And he's going to do it with some of the best people to do it with the McPhillips family. Yeah, and I think you know the fact that he respects the process. I think that's the the important thing that comes out of this is you know he certainly has the means. If he wanted to be in a top fuel car, he could do that tomorrow, and he has you know got in the car, made enough runs that he could get a license if he just wanted to get one. But he doesn't feel like he's ready, and he respects the process. And being in the alcohol car is a great stepping stone if that's where you're going to end up someday. And I'm sure he will, whether it's full time or not, I don't know. But at some point, he's going to run races in a top fuel car. And to see somebody of his stature and his ability in every kind of race car he's ever got in and his means to understand that, you know what, I shouldn't just jump into that. I think that that's a great message for everybody that looks over at us and, you know, the number of people are, well, drag racing is easy. Anybody can do it. If a guy like Tony thinks that it's worth taking the steps to learn how to do it right in order to be good, then I think that... Uh, that expresses a lot. And, you know, for anybody, and I've had, you know, a couple of online conversations with people, you know, well, drag racing's easy. It is. Absolutely. Drag racing's easy. Get in a car, drive in a straight line a quarter of a mile. It's when you try to do it better than somebody else that the degree of difficulty comes in. Because anybody can get in a car and drive it a quarter mile in a straight line. But when you try to beat the car in the other lane, then the degree of difficulty ramps up huge. And as Tony has said over and over and over again, and as anybody who races successfully knows it's the little things it's the process it's making sure the car's the right temperature making sure the rpm's right making sure you do the burnout right make everything about it it's not the moment from when you smash the gas until the moment when you cross the traps it's making sure that you have gotten every little detail and every little step of the process right and that's what tony wants to learn so i think it's great 
I think, you know, obviously when he ran the race out in, uh, out in Las Vegas, it put a big spotlight on the alcohol ranks that they don't normally get. And I think that's good for them. I think it's great that a lot of the rest of the world that kind of has the, if it doesn't go 300 miles an hour, it doesn't matter mentality. And if, if all you love is the, is the top fuel and funny cars and great, we're glad to have you, but you're missing out on a lot. And I think Tony is going to get a lot of people looking at some of these other classes that maybe they haven't looked at before. And if that means that extra people will come out and buy tickets to go to the regional races, great, come on out. Because not only are you going to have an opportunity to see Tony compete and maybe get a picture and maybe get an autograph like you always can do at the NHRA races, but maybe then you'll understand just how great the competition is for the cars that don't go 300 miles an hour. And that's got to be, it's got to be good for the sport. You know, the, the vast majority of the people that I talked to in Las Vegas about having Tony in the class with him, were grateful to have him there strictly because of the spotlight it put on the class. And that's good for all of them. Well, the banner, the marquee out in front of the track, Tony Stewart, it's uh, we as drag racing people and uh, a sport NHRA, our greatest challenge is awareness. Most people don't know what it is, what we're doing, where to see us, what they just don't know. Look at the NFL, right? The Super Bowl this past weekend, their biggest, most massive event. And there are people that are not into it. They don't know about it. They don't know from it. And that's the biggest sporting event that we've got here in the United States of America. When you can get someone who transcends your sport, but not just drag racing, transcends NASCAR, he's known through Formula One, he's known through IndyCar, like that whole motorsport sprint car crowd, like everybody knows Tony Stewart. And why is he doing this? He's doing it because it's a great challenge. Well, what, what, why would he want to do that? Well, because apparently he finds it to be very entertaining and fun. And it's a challenge to him. Really? Drag racing? But he's not even in the main series. No, he's not. That's how tough it is. Like those are good conversations that will have to happen. The ratings for the Lucas Oil TV show that you guys are on that's going to have to go up, right? Like it's going to be very interesting, the Stewart factor and the cascading benefits that happen to all these drag racers uh, who go up against him. All of a sudden they're in this big spotlight and they get a chance to take him out. Like, yeah, I got a chance to take out Tony. And who knows what's going to happen? Like the McPhillips car is a great car though. That's the thing. I think he's going to be. It is. When he gets to top fuel, assuming that does happen, let's play, play pretend. Right. Like, why is he going through this? Well, he's just doing this for his own entertainment. Or maybe at some point, Tony Stewart Nitro is going to have a couple of top fuel dragsters and Tony is going to be very serious about this thing. Like, that's also possible. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> he's going to have like multiple seasons of training under the McPhillips. He's going to go in there with his full, you know, full on smoke mode. Uh, I think we're going to be in a good spot. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I think so too. And I, as I said, I think, you know, the fact that it puts such a bright spotlight on the Lucas Oil series and on the top alcohol dragster class in particular, I think is good. You know, you look at when Kevin Harvick, uh, or I'm sorry, when Kyle Bush announced that he's going to run some Xfinity races this year, how many people now are going to buy tickets to those races that weren't going to go before simply because Kyle's in the race? You know, I remember years ago when Jeff Gordon said he was going to run a handful of, uh, of those races, Bush races at the time, uh, and the racetracks were bidding for him. It's like, we will pay to have you come run our race because we know people will buy tickets on the Saturday race to come see Jeff Gordon that wouldn't have otherwise. So having a, you know, a big name in that series, I think is good. It puts a spotlight on the series. Yeah. I guarantee you, 
the Madison Payne, Tony Stewart final round was the most watched run there was in top alcohol dragster last year. And do you think like Muscle Milk was unhappy about that? Right. Do you think they're going, oh, we don't want Tony Stewart over? No, of course not, because they got a lot of exposure for their car, for their sponsor, for their people. And oh, by the way, they won. Uh, you know, the second most viewed probably would be the final round in Vegas because, well, when you went on your side or the final round in Pomona, because when you went on your side, you know, when when you've got your back tires up against the wall and you're still trying to accelerate, that's uh, that's doing it a little different. And that's what Taylor did. Yeah, Taylor, I talked to her at PRI and she was like shaking her head. And I'm like, yeah, but you won. It's OK. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that. But um, hey, it's like it, it, it all it all worked out. So we're all excited. Hopefully we'll get Tony on WFO here in the future, but um, doing it the right way, respectful to the process of drag racing. I think I'm pretty excited. Another story that broke uh, yesterday, Alan, which was not news to WFO radio <laughs> listeners, because you and I have been openly discussing this at length for over, um, I don't know, a month and a half, is Todd Okahara and Aaron Brooks being the newly announced crew chief tandem for Bob Tasca. Which, when I, I saw that, I was like, did, you know, did we make a mistake? Were we not supposed to be talking about that? But that's WFO, right? Like, some things just get discussed. We don't make a big deal about it. And then they turn to be true, which is why people are subscribing as we speak. But that's going to be interesting because of the history. Tasca and Todd and Aaron. And there's, there's a deeper history than just those guys were available with Bob. Yeah, the fact that, you know, Aaron Brooks spent some time at DSR and he and Todd have a good working relationship and a good relationship. So uh, I think, you know, there's not going to be a lot of learning curve there. Bob had a really good race car the last couple of years. And I'm sure that, you know, they've got the notes, they've got the records. They've got, so they've got a great starting point, right? We don't have to come in and start from scratch. And I've, I've got a lot of respect for Aaron Brooks. I've known him for a lot of years. And just the fact that, you know, Alan Johnson hired him at one point to run a funny car, I think says, a lot about his ability and his knowledge and he's been in a number of situations the last couple of years but he hasn't been in a situation with a full-time team that is fully funded but if you look at the cars he's helped and you look at the people that he's worked with he has improved the program every place that he stopped and i see him just kind of picking up with bob Tasker's program right where it is now which is in pretty solid shape and continuing to move forward i think that uh, i think it's a good move and uh, and i think that you know top, Bob Task has been a player the last couple of years, and I don't think he's going to lose a step here. I think uh, I think he's going to be as stronger, stronger. Well, I would hope so. And it's a challenging situation. You had the car that was running good, and here comes Todd and Aaron, and they go into it, and and we know what can happen. Like if if the performance isn't there, people are going to look at him like this car just ran great last year. There's got to be some pressure. Aaron mentioned it in his uh, interview with John Kernan on NHRA.com. That uh, doesn't go without saying, but I like the situation. You've got a driver who can win with a car that's well-funded and it's all laid out. You got everything that happened last year to reference. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what Todd Okahara can do in this situation. And, um, and I'm glad that Bob is going to be back out there, right? Like we we can't uh, lose Bob Tasca like that. No, man, he figured out a situation, a way to improvise, adapt, overcome. And you know who I'm really happy for is Aaron Brooks because he's a super talented person that mm -hmm. just just hasn't found like a home home for a long period of time. This could be it. So uh, good luck to that team, and I'm super excited. Speaking of crew chief changes, though, like Justin is mentioning, 
last week before the test, they tested this past weekend at Gainesville Raceway. I don't have any results or anything, but um, big time crew chief shakeup at John Force Racing. Like they took the etch a sketch in there, shook it, right? Chris Cunningham is moving over to Austin's car. Um, just all kinds of changes. Max Savage is going to be on Force's car. So they're kind of breaking up a championship brain trust with Grubby, uh, sending Mac over to Force's car. Like the rationale we'll discuss. John will be on at some point. We'll ask him about it or Robert. But what's your what's your thought process on all that went down? Thomas going to work with his dad as as car chief on Robert's car. There's a lot going on in this John Force Racing crew chief shakeup. Yeah, you know, I was a little bit surprised when I uh, when I heard it. Uh, I can certainly understand the logic. I think I can play that out. You know, you had two cars last year that did very well. Brittany obviously winning the championship and Robert that came within one round of winning the championship. And you had two cars that underachieved a little bit. I mean, John with just the one trip to the winner's circle. Austin's car was better at the end of the year. Uh, you know, they certainly went through a dry spell in the middle of the year. But with Ron Tobler leaving, that left a pretty big hole that needed to be filled there. And I think it's interesting that you take Max Savage, who he and David Grubnick have proven over the years to work very, very well together. And I think the hope is, obviously the hope is, that some of that magic will now rub off onto John Force's car with Matt going over there. And, you know, it's not like he's going to the other side of the world, right? I mean, if, if Grubnick still needs him for something or if he did, they're still going to be in the same camp. There's still going to be some communication there. They just won't be working side to side, side by side necessarily on Sunday. And I think the situation is the same uh, over on Robert Hyde's team. You know, you look at what Jimmy and Chris Cunningham have done over the years. They have been in contention every year for the championship. They've won a couple of them. And, you know, there are some that probably scratch their heads a little bit about breaking up that team. But you're also taking Chris Cunningham, who's a pretty aggressive guy, and you're moving him over to the dragster that at the end of last year was running very well. And so, you know, time will tell if this was a good move all the way around or not. But, uh, you know, I think John decided that he needed to he needed to kind of shuffle the talents around a little bit to try to get all four cars into championship contention at the end of the year, not just the two. So we'll wait and see how it works out. I like the idea. I agree with you. If there's there's risk and reward potential taking grubby and mac and separating them and we don't know a lot about that like we do we don't know the inner workings and the dynamics of the personalities we just don't know but mac has learned a lot working with grubby he's <laughs> oh so yeah you, yeah take that and you put mac with danny and tim and the thing you talk about all the time like well maybe you know we should try this because this is something that worked that cross pollinating and like sharing all the information around John force racing. And what does that enable John force racing to do is promote from within like the next man up mentality. It's like, all right, the information has been shared out there. You're part of John force racing. And in the end we make this possible. And so we share the information within the teams across formulas. So a funny car crew chief can go be a top fuel crew chief with Chris Cunningham um, I think it's probably pretty smart of force to do it. But then again, the results will tell us whether whether or not it's smart or not. Well, I think when you compare how many drag races John Force has won and how many drag races Alan Reinhardt has won, uh, who has the better track record of putting personnel in place 
to make teams go out and win. And you know, who, it's John yeah, Ford. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh, look, it's unanimous. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's hard. To, you can you can you question his logic? Sure. Can you scratch your head a little bit if you want to? But when you look at what he's done in the past, and you know, let's wait and see how it shakes out before we either declare it a brilliant decision or a terrible decision. I think they're going to work out just fine. I think uh, you know, it's it's going to be a bit of an adjustment period, but I think it's all going to work out just fine. You still have a lot of really smart people that are all under that one big umbrella, and as it's always been over there, if somebody is struggling, everybody will come help if asked. I don't know if we talked about it last week, but the return of Mike Googer. This guy says yeah. Mike uh, Googer. No, it's uh, Mike Googer. But longtime veteran crew chief, not been doing anything, right? And this is the, uh, it shows you what's going on in the sport of drag racing that people who haven't been working are, their phones are ringing. And he's going to crew chief for Buddy Hull. Buddy, who you and I have spent a fair amount of time talking with Buddy. And I think he is a dynamic, positive, energetic personality. And, uh, you know, Wilk was kind of like helping him out a little bit over the years, but now Wilk has got a different deal going on. And so Buddy decided to to make a move and brought Googer in, which I think that's good. Good news. Mike Googer, I like to see him out there. Well, Mike Googer's a guy that's been around a long time. I mean, for those who aren't familiar with the name, Mike was on the team that went 300 miles an hour in 1992. He was on Kenny Bernstein's team. So he's been around that long. And he has played about every role you can possibly play, everything from, you know, tire wiper, I think, all the way up to crew chief. And he's fairly well respected out there in, in the pit area. So if he comes in without maybe the newest, latest modern knowledge, he's got a lot of phone numbers. If he's going to call somebody and say, hey, um, fill me in on this or point me in a direction on this. Uh, and I think that, you know, just a little bit of information will get him going because he's, as I said, he's been around a long time. He's a really smart guy. It's not going to take him very long to get up to speed. And that's great because the more competitive cars we have out there, whether it's full-time or part-time, the better. And when you look at the fact that part-time cars over the course of the last few years have been able to come out, win some races, win some rounds, create some waves, I think that's great for everybody. So uh, I look forward to uh, Buddy and Mike getting out there and uh, you know, hopefully stirring the pot a little bit. I love the methanol moonshine folks, by the way, I don't know how familiar you are with them, but the sponsor is going to be on the side of that car. Uh, interesting company, very, very dedicated to racing, not probably real well known in the States, but that's why they're coming up here to uh, get a little more exposure. As we bring the world of drag racing, Australia and drag racing, United States together closer and closer. I agree. Uh, but I, I will tell you, I have yet to experience the, uh, the moonshine. And so maybe at some point during this season, I will get that opportunity. <laughs> I feel like I just, might Coletta Motorsports testing in Gainesville, as was uh, JFR and Alexis. But what I found to be interesting is they tested a canopy dragster. And uh, this is one I watch. You know, I see who's got their their appreciation of the way things uh, are and were and some of the other cars. But you got to try one right at some point. We were kicking it around on the ignition show yesterday with our Patreons and uh, everybody pretty much agreed like, hey, man. The way they're running, you got to try one. You got to see what's up. What do you think is going on with the experimentation with the canopy and Doug? Well, I think experiment experimentation is the right word. Uh, both Doug and Chad Head, the general manager over there, said we are not sold on this. Will absolutely positively be on the car. Um, they're testing it, and if they decide that it looks like it shows promise or something they want to do, then they can certainly go with it. Um, it again, uh, 
wasn't stunned, but a little bit surprised because Alan Johnson has never seemed to be a big proponent of the canopy cars. Now he won championships with them. So, you know, he's familiar with them and it's not like he can't make one run and he's not, you know, and Alan's not a guy that's ever going to give an excuse. They did not have a good year last year and he's not going to say, well, it's because of X, Y, Z. He's going to go out and fix the problem. And so, you know, whether this, you know, as far as everything we've seen out there, I don't believe personally that it is a clear performance advantage. I think if it was, everybody would have one. You know, it's heavier. Uh, from an aerodynamic standpoint, they're very, very similar. There's a reason that all the cars have super high windshields on them now and everything because of because of that. Um, but there are some who believe it is a safer uh, a safer cockpit for the driver, and uh, and the safety aspect of it is worth carrying the extra pounds and doing the stuff. Uh, there are some that would argue that in certain situations, uh, maybe it's not, and that's why it's never been mandated. That's why a number of the teams have yet to make the move, but. Uh, why not try it? I mean, and again, like we've talked about with the teams, if you have the budget, you have the wherewithal, why not try it? And if it ends up being something you don't use, well, surely somebody down the line will want it and you can sell it to them. Absolutely. And I like um I like the differences. I don't I don't like when every race car looks exactly the same. And so we've got a top fuel dragster with a canopy, we've got one without, there's a little difference. You got some old school ones with the old school windscreens. But at the same time, I'm a big believer in the safety that comes from the canopy. The new, thick, tall windscreen that you find on, say, Steve Torrance's car, I feel like protects the driver. Um, you know, we'd have to do some math calculations to figure out what angle at what speed something would have to go to rattle around in there. But I like them to be different. But I did have anecdotal conversations with people that were, you know, crew members that said to me last year, like, Hey man, at some point we got to figure that out because the fastest car is doing that. Like that's what they are. The, the quickest and fastest car is a canopy car. And maybe that's part of it, part of it and finding it out. But, but for four years previous, the quickest and fastest car wasn't a canopy car. So you know, did, did the canopy, you know, last year it became, no, of course not. I, you know, as I, that's why I said, I don't believe that it is a clear performance advantage. I think it's been proven that you can run quick and fast either way. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of it, I think comes down to preference. You know, the, the Don Schumacher team obviously believes very heavily into it. They invested very heavily into it. You know, it was a Mike Green project. He's the one that spearheaded the thing and made it running and all of their cars. And Don had said, none of his cars will ever run without one. But there were other teams and other drivers out there that felt like in certain situations, it might not be the best. And that's why, you know, it was never mandated that everybody had to have one. And that's why a number of the drivers opted not to. Uh, you know, Sean Langdon has driven both. Uh, Leah has driven both. Uh, you know, Mike Salinas made a couple of runs in a canopy car, but he's almost always been in an open car. So, you know, there are a number of drivers back to, out there that have gone back and forth. And I've never heard any of them say, you know, this is clearly better. You know, maybe you have a preference, you know, it's certainly quieter in the canopy. That's one thing that everybody has said, but uh, I've never heard anybody say absolutely positively, the car is faster because of this. So, um, you know, we'll, and again, we'll, we'll wait and see. There's going to be a lot of stuff that we find out, you know, the first month and a half of the season, after we get through Gainesville, and then we come out West and run those races in a hurry. I think that's going to set the tone pretty early in the season, you know, with, with four races coming off in what, five and a half weeks or something that, um, we are going to know pretty quickly 
uh, you know, who did their homework, who's ready for the season and who has still got some work to do before we get into the countdown, obviously later in the year. If you are not ready for the Gator Nationals, like it's your own fault. I hate to be harsh like that, but you've had plenty of time. Uh, maybe the financial resources <laughs> didn't allow you to go out and test. But the one thing that everybody says they never get enough of, which is time, you had much more than you are used to uh, at this uh, at this time. Uh, Justin, this is a question that this is a zombie question, right? Like it's still alive. Why did NHRA do away with national record run points? points associated with uh records that's something that keeps bouncing back up every couple of years like we did away with it everybody understands it and then it comes back well they did away with it basically because they put limitations on the cars it was you know pretty well understood that the cars were getting too fast for the equipment and for some of the facilities where we race and so giving an incentive for people to keep trying to go faster and faster and faster is counterproductive when you're putting rules in place like the timing retarders and other things to try to keep the speeds under control and so that's why points went away for national records very nice very nice good answer good answer i appreciate uh that we've been talking a lot of nitro here on this one pro stock had erica on last week she clued us in on you know seven KB Titan cars, eight elite motorsports cars for a total of 15. Um, I'm super excited about pro stock. Michael Heiner has been doing a great job on our Patreon only show here from Heiner answering all kinds of technical questions, going really in depth on pro stock. It has been great. Everyone is welcome to check that out by joining Patreon. But um, what, what do you, I haven't seen too many pro stockers out there testing just yet. It's still very cold. It was even in the fifties here in Florida, but that's going to get rolling the week before the world series of pro mod. Uh, the weekend of the World Series in Pro Mod in Orlando, and then a couple of days before Gainesville, it's going to be gangbusters. But from what I understand, there won't be pro stock testing in Gainesville. They will be testing places other than Gainesville the days before the Gator Nationals. Well, I think there's been some testing going on. They just you don't hear as much noise about it as you do when the nitro cars go out. But you know, KB Racing goes over to Mooresville Dragway on a pretty regular basis, no matter what. Uh, I don't know it for a fact, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to find out the McGay Hayes have been out doing some stuff early on. And again, they, you know, they just don't issue press releases, so it doesn't make big news, but uh, there've definitely been some cars that have been out there, uh, you know, doing some burnouts and doing some launches at least. So uh, there's pro stock's going to be fun. If, you know, assuming the McGay Hayes come back with two, that's now 17 full-time cars. Uh, don't know uh, what, Kenny Delco's planning to do, don't know uh, what, you know, those guys up there are planning to do, don't know what Alan Pruszynski is planning to do, but it looks like we could potentially have as many as 18 or 19 touring cars and bring it on because I love when you get into a situation where racing on Sunday is not guaranteed when you unload the thing out of the trailer on Friday. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just some of the conversation points that we touched on with Erica, in case you guys didn't see it out there, it's in the archive. And we really appreciate when you share those interviews. You don't have to watch them live, but definitely share them. We're talking about the quadras, like Christian and Fernando Jr., like when waiting to happen, right? We'd love to see a Ford Mustang get in there. Just a lot of different stories. Alan Pruszynski has been so good on his social media of like, I'm hyped for the guy. I don't know what the heck I'm looking at when he's posting, but he's got me excited that they found some horsepower and he needs some financial help to go to more races, but he's going to be out there at Gainesville. Just very exciting what's happening in uh, in Pro Stock. Obviously, we've talked a lot of Pro Stock motorcycle. Did you see that Randy Meyer got the A-Fuel funny car down the racetrack the other day with Julie Natas? And so all of a sudden, 
that's real. It went from being like, eh, that's not real to mixed deals. Like I'm doing it. And Randy Myers went down the track, ran 560. And so all of a sudden the, the thinkers in drag racing are figuring this thing out. I think it's going to be interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to see what they do with that. I thought it was very interesting that uh, if I read the interview right, the last thing that Julie said is I'm looking forward to funny car chaos. Not I'm looking forward to Gainesville or not. I'm looking forward to, you know, getting a thing out in, in Charlotte or in Vegas. Uh, so I'm not sure what their NHRA plan is with that car. I know that they've certainly got a full slate to do with the dragsters, but, uh, you know, maybe they're planning to, you know, continue to do some testing and do some stuff at the non-NHRA events before they bring it out and try to make a splash. Or, you know, maybe WFO Radio can call and go, hey, uh, Randy, Joe Costello's got a license. Let's oh, uh, Let's put yeah. together a deal here. I, I like that idea, right? Yeah, me inside a funny car. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I think we'll see that car at a national event. But, yes, the Meyer sisters did uh, announce that they are returning to drag racing at Nitro Chaos, which got me like as much as I like those guys over there at Nitro Chaos and Funny Car Chaos. And we have a we had a great time last year at the Stampede Speed. And I learned about everything they're doing. And they're doing such a great job for drag racing in these like midsize markets. Right. But the Myers mm -hmm. is like, we're coming back and they're they're going to be at Nitro Chaos. I want to see them at an NHRA national event. So I was a little bitter. Can you tell? <laughs> Don't be surprised if it'll happen. But, you know, Randy's got, as I understand it, those cars booked. Um, you know, would he bring out a third one? I don't know. Maybe. Um, would one of the sisters fill in if Julie has something come up and has to take a weekend off? Or if Chad has something come up and has to take I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but I guarantee you, you know, if if Julie on Thursday ever said, geez, I'm not feeling very good this weekend. I don't think it would take Rachel long to get her fire suit out and get ready to go. I agree. I definitely agree with that. All right. Uh, anything else that we did not cover that we should? I got Madeline Marconi, who's going to tell us about saving Palm Beach International Raceway action step, where we are, what's up, what's the story, what, you know, the ground that we've covered since the last time she was on, which has been generally positive, by the way. And I, I, I don't want to say that I had totally given up hope, but kind of, and it, it's just another lesson to not give up hope because good things are kind of happening down there. We'll do that. But is there any final thought, anything else next week? We, we might have smoke. Who knows? No, but, just uh, uh, you want to you play Ryan? You want to play Reinhardt Reels before we leave? Yeah, well, we didn't talk Super Bowl and we didn't talk Daytona 500. So we got to well, do that real quick. But yeah, reveal something, Reinhardt. Reveal. Well, uh, no real Barracuda news. I'm, uh, you know, haven't really done a whole lot with that, but I've been working on the Hemi. And I keep finding out more and more interesting stuff about the Hemi. I mean, I know that, you know, this thing, is, it's an iron 426 Hemi that was in a funny car dated 1970, but it hasn't run in a while. I don't know that much about it. So I've been taking it apart, freshened up. I got pistons ordered for it, but this was the timing cover that's on it. Okay. And I am told. What? Yeah. Ram chargers. Right. I see Ram chargers. Remember the Ram chargers? Yes. I am told that that is a very, very rare piece. It was a very short run back in the early 70s. Uh, I also found out that the Hemi that I have has got a four-inch stroke crank in it, so it's not a 426 Hemi. It's a 490 cubic inch Hemi. Um, I've got some new pistons coming fr for it from the folks at CP Carrillo because it had, it. I believe, from looking at it, and nobody knows. The guy that bought the car that owns it now that I am working for uh, bought it from a guy who bought it and let it sit 18 years and never did anything with it. 
Uh, he believed that before that, that the last time the engine actually ran, it was on alcohol. And judging by the compression ratio and some of the other stuff, I believe it was. So it's being put back together to be a nitro cackle car. But I just think it's fascinating. Some of the parts and pieces that have come out of this thing that literally date back to the 1970s. The date on the block is January 26, 1970. And since wow. I have, you know, a 1970 real deal iron 426 Hemi and I have a 1970 Barracuda right there. Um, if the Hemi didn't have to go back in the funny car because it belongs to somebody else and that those things might find a way together in the future, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but I just don't see it happen. Anyway, I just, uh, I think it's, it's been fascinating for me to find this stuff out because calling some of the guys that remember stuff from back in the day, you know, I spoke with Austin Coyle pretty extensively on a couple of things. Uh, I called Dale Poldy the other day and ask him about some of this stuff. And I sent him some pictures, I get this, I get this. And he's like, yeah, I haven't seen that since 1975. So uh, it's just kind of cool working on, you know, a vintage project like this and, and going back and taking a look at the things, the way things were done almost 50 years ago. And the car in question, in case you missed it, is the 1970 Barracuda that Candies and Hughes won Gainesville with in 1970. Wow. And the gentleman that owns a car now has been in touch with Leonard Hughes and it, you know, verified that it absolutely positively is that car. Uh, he is trying to bring it back to at least its original look. It's not going to be a race car. It's going to be a cackle car, but he is trying to make the thing as original as he possibly can. And, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in charge of the 426 or the 490 cubic inch half inch stroker Hemi vintage 1970 something. I don't know. If you want to send me a photo, you know, I got a guy who who knows a little something about old parts coming on tomorrow. Garlets, like I'll flash the picture yeah. to him and say, hey, what's this? What do you know about this? And uh, and we'll see. All right. Real quick. Let's do some quick hits because, uh, you know, the questions they keep they keep coming in um, about uh, like legit uh, questions uh, like like Lauren's been asking this one over and over. And I want to get to it. Is Tony Stewart the first former NASCAR driver to race a full time season in the NHRA? And that word full time is tripping me up. I know John Andretti. Uh, yeah. come over, but I don't recall if that was like four points every week. Well, I, I, I guess it depends on how far you want to go back and what, you know, a, a full circuit for Tony is not going to be every national event because the alcohol cars don't run at every national event. And he obviously is going to hit some divisional events and do some other stuff. I mean, if you go way, way, way back in time, you know, Richard Petty did some drag racing way, way, way back in time. Uh, Danny and Gaius did some drag racing way, way, way back in time and did some other forms of stuff as well. Uh, you know, Mickey Thompson obviously was involved in a lot of different kinds of racing. So uh, he is the latest to come over here and do something. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of with you. The the full time uh, full time is a little bit of a. Uh, a little bit of a sticking point is, you know, what was full-time back then wasn't anywhere near what would be considered full-time now. Right. 10 alcohol drags to races. Okay. Uh, Super Bowl hot take go. Uh, I called the first half. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What'd you say? It was going to be a 10 point game. I said Philly by 10. Philly um, by 10. yeah, it was a good game, which I'm grateful for. Um, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but I was a little disappointed about how it ended. I would have liked to have seen Kansas City score and then have, you know, whatever it was going to be, 90 seconds or 70 seconds or something to see if Philly, you know, could pull one out of the bag. I think that would have been a more exciting ending. Um, overall, I thought it was a good game. Overall, I was pretty disappointed with the commercials. Uh, and congratulations to Kansas City. Um, you know, you'll have to call your buddy Casey Wolf and see if he can get, you know, Mahomes or Kelsey or some of those guys to come out and uh, come drag racing with us when we get out there. 
Yeah, that would be great. They would certainly love it. And Daytona 500 this weekend, I'm heading up to the D5 Awards Banquet. But, uh, you know, the great American race. Uh, give me a give me a pick. Oh, man. Um, you know, that that race is such a crapshoot. I think, you know, Kyle Busch obviously wants it bad. Richard Childress cards have always run well there. I think that you have to, you know, maybe give him a little bit of a something. Uh, Denny Hamlin has always run so well at that race. Uh, I think you have to give him a little bit of a something. Uh, you know, Joey Logano has always run well at that race, uh, yeah. seems to get in trouble, you know, 500 feet from the finish line. Um, you know, Kozlowski, same thing. Um, you know, that that race is just I think it's too big a crapshoot. But I would not be stunned if any of those drivers that I mentioned won. Uh, I would be thrilled if one of the Stuart Haas cars wins. I think, you know, you look at Austin Sendrich winning last year in the Ford that had been vacated by Keselowski. And I think, you know, with Priest coming in, with uh, some of the changes, you know, Kevin Harvick has, has done fairly well at the big tracks over the years. Uh, I'd love to see, I'd love to see Smoke kick off, kick off the NASCAR season as a win with a car owner and then come to the Baby Gators the next week. I think that'd be cool. That would be super cool. Alan, great job as usual. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I want to hang around and listen, if you don't mind. I've been uh, kind of following the West Palm thing and, if uh, you know, if you don't mind, cause, because I th I think if if Madeline can fix this, yeah, then I think she's going to be in demand, right? The next time, hey, my racetrack's in trouble. Oh, it's well, going to be one eight hundred Madeline. Yeah. So Madeline, you enable your get up camera. here and tell us what you can do. Madeline Marconi is down there. We're going to enable her camera. You just stay on the air, and we're going to bring her on right now. Here she is, Madeline Marconi from Southern Florida, who has done a great job of updating us. Madeline, this is Alan. Alan, this is Madeline. Uh, I know Madeline's dad. I've known her for a long, long time. And she and I were just like racers at PBIR together. And she has fought to get through a couple of these commission meetings and stop some things and uh, came on the show once before, Madeline. I was not able to go to this most recent meeting. So why don't you just kind of take control of things and educate us as to where things were and where they are and what happened? Absolutely. And uh, thank you, Alan. I appreciate that. And it's really nice to meet you. When I hear both of your voices, it's just like <laughs> kind of crazy to me because they're both iconic now in the sport of NHRA. Um, but yes, the meeting was on January 26th. It was a Thursday. It started at 930. Um, it was a long meeting. Uh, we had around 50 people show up. Um, they were all, you know, slotted to do the public comments. Um, we had representatives from, from VP Racing Fuels. We had Antron Brown submit comments on the record. Um, environmentalists from the Loxhatchee Sierra Club. Um, and ultimately, after a very, very long day, um, the county commissioners voted 4-2 for, um, for um, against the warehouse that would uh, potentially replace uh, Palm Beach International Raceway, they voted to deny the application. So as it stands right now, um, the racetrack is still there. The uses are still all the same. Um, and it was honestly a huge, I guess we could say victory, um, but it was just cool to see everybody come out and talk about, you know, their memories tied to the racetrack it honestly it brought me to tears because it was just so special um and it it really proved the point that we really need this racetrack in our community there is a 100 percent need for a racetrack in palm beach county um and we had everybody up there on the public stand the podium to to justify that excellent now the video that antron recorded and this is something that you sent to me and and how was that received by the commissioners? And for, for people who don't follow local government, you're very knowledgeable about it. 
but uh, it's it's democracy at work, right? Like people go and they make a presentation and they get X amount of time. They can't stand in there and filibuster and and you move forward. So when they saw someone who has made a similar presentation to Congress very recently, Antron saying, this is not just about a business. It's a culture. It's a culture that you want to have in your community. Uh, how was that received? I would say it was received well. I mean, I think it was a really interesting twist. Not many people um, offer, you know, national athletes really um, onto the public record. So that was definitely an eye opener and maybe one of the first times that that has happened in our Palm Beach County local government. Um, but it was just really cool to see Antron just speak from the heart, just like he did when he was at the Capitol. Um, and he spoke about the sport, the generations, um, the things that the younger generations learn. Um, and also for him being a new uh, motorsports uh, you know, owner, race team owner, it was, uh, I think, really important that he kind of, you know, shares his voice on the need for racetracks in not only Palm Beach County, but all over the country. It's so important that we keep this sport alive and we keep that going for the next generation. Um, and like you said, too, with Tony Stewart, he's kind of breathing life, not back into the sport, but he's just giving it a new twist. Um, and that's why it was really cool to see, you know, a national athlete who travels all over the country to, you know, have his say for the county commissioners and a plea to the county commissioners to keep this racetrack here in Palm Beach County. Alan, you got a question for Madeline? Well, I'm just curious if you've had uh, any kind of support or any kind of statements from law enforcement officials about problems that communities have had when they've closed racetracks, because we've seen it all over the place where all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the people wait, we don't want a racetrack, we don't want a racetrack. So they run the racetrack out of town and then they're up in arms about what are we going to do about the street racing epidemic and how are we going to get these people off the street? I mean, I think one of the big needs of having the track, and Joe and I talked about it a little bit last week, um, during the COVID shutdown, you look at St. Louis and the huge problem that they were having while across the street, Worldwide Technology Raceway is closed because they're in Illinois and Illinois won't let them open. You know, they're begging, let us open the gates and look, we'll welcome these people. And the same thing happened up in Denver when Vandermeer Speedway was closed because of the pandemic. And all of a sudden, street racing became such a big issue. They were closing lanes on some of the main drags to keep people from going out there and racing at midnight when the Vandermeers are going, just tell us we can open. These people want to come out and race. We want to have them come out here. And I'm just wondering if you've gotten any support like from law enforcement, from people on that side of the aisle going, beware of the problem that you're creating if you decide to close the racetrack. Absolutely. You are so right. Um, I did. We we have support from uh, Lieutenant Ray Alonzo. He ran the Beat the Heat uh, program at Palm Beach International Raceway, um, and he is affiliated with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, but he spoke on the record um, as a racer. Um, but as far as an uptick in street racing in Palm Beach County, it is definitely. And it's not just Palm Beach County. It's also Martin County, the surrounding areas that are affected. Um, and there's been news articles that have come out since the closure of April of 2022. I've been sent videos, people like literally having proof of street racing occurring on the streets. Um, I've recently reached out to the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office to also gather some real hard data on the statistics since the racetrack closed. Um, and they just got back to me two days ago and it was very apparent that there is, you know, an uptick in street racing, just like you said, 
you know, uh, Palm Beach County has a lot of money. Um, and I'm not just trying to boast, but we all know there's, you know, there's a lot of money, which means a lot of fast cars um, and a lot of people who need that, you know, safe sanctioned facility or else we will see, you know, lives lost, unfortunately, um, because, you know, drag racing is a sport that was created really to get people off of the street and without a place to go where are they going to go? They're going to go to the street. So you're exactly right. Um, I'm really pushing for the uh, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office and other sheriff's offices um, to kind of see it from our point of view. Um, I've been speaking about it until my lips are blue because I just believe it so much. Um, But it's just you got to, you know, get everybody on board and, and just kind of get the data out there too. That's what, you know, a lot of government entities like to see is the data. Derek is out there, wants to know if the meeting was recorded. Is that something that uh, listeners can go back and watch and share? Yes, it was recorded. Um, I can actually pull the timestamp that it, it took place because there were two applications before it unrelated to the racetrack, but it is, it's on public record. Um, and it's something that I could easily produce to you, Joe, and you could share it. Excellent. Speaking of that, for everybody that's interested, okay, I know we have a lot of listeners that they want to hear the latest John Force Racing news, and they don't necessarily want to be an activist saving drag strips. But we also have a lot of people that do want to be activists saving drag strips and and lending their uh, energy, at very least, with a share. Uh, We are going to share some information at the conclusion of this show uh, in my WFO Radio Twitter feed and on our Facebook page. Madeline, you're going to send that to me. Of course, I'll share your handle as well. Please tell us your best social media communication uh, point. But people can do stuff. There are still things that can be done. What do you think the best course of action is at this point? Because they wanted to turn it into warehouses. They like people bought a property. They wanted to make an investment by turning it into warehouses. The people in the community said, what? Warehouses? Oh, my gosh. Trucks coming and going and all this stuff. We don't really want that. It's nice the way it is. Let's keep it the way it is. And now it has been denied. The warehouse plan is a no. So what now? Like, What can happen now that can bring this thing maybe back to being a drag strip? Absolutely. So... Legally, there's some things that might have to take place um, with the county and the applicant, things that I have no knowledge about. Um, But as far as, you know, the need for a racetrack, it's still very apparent. Um, I think the best thing that everyone could do is just kind of spread the word um, about, you know, the racetrack is still standing. It's there. Um, It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, It has been apparently stripped. I haven't seen it. I've only seen photos. Um, but it's something that we just need to keep in the forefront of our minds, because if uh, it could happen to a premier facility like Palm Beach International Raceway, it could happen to your facility in your local community and one that, you know, you never thought it would have, uh, you know, gone away. So just spread the word and just keep this all um, on the forefront of your minds. Um, my Facebook is it's my private one. You can add me on Facebook. I've received a lot of friend requests since being on WFO and with a lot of people. Um, It's Madeline Marconi. Um, But also we have a private um, Facebook group for Palm Beach International Raceway, and it has about 4,700 people. So if you search Palm Beach International Raceway, it's a private group, like I said, Um, please join it. And that's kind of where I've been keeping a lot of the information up to date um, as it comes. Right now, we kind of 
we just kind of have to sit and wait and to see what happens. I, of course, would love for some sort of motorsports investors or investor to come come in and, you know, that would be the dream for them to, you know, buy the track if everything went uh, accordingly and buy the track and, uh, you know, continue its legacy. Um, like we said again about Tony Stewart, I mean, for someone breathing more energy back into the sport, maybe, you know, letting him know that would be kind of cool to see. <laughs> buy the track, Tony. Yes. Tony, buy the track. Or, but listen, yeah. I think about. Hello, Marcus Smith. Yes, Marcus Smith. Well, there's a road course there. There's an all concrete quarter mile that is already in great shape. Um, it's they stripped the track, but a big minded investor uh, could replace the things that are now gone very easily with something that is better than what was there. Right. Concept wise. The important thing is the land, the track and the community around it. And they needed a new tower for years. I think the iconic tower is still probably there. I haven't seen any destruction photos because I would cry if that happened. But the bleachers are now in Bradenton. All right. You can always get new bleachers, right? You can figure out a new way to do that. Timing system. Brock Meyer will sell you another one, right? There's other ones out there. But the soul of the place is still intact. And the plan to make giant money with it as being a warehouse dis distribution hub, that is now no longer possible from what i understand yes at this point i mean there's always you can never say never and it goes both ways it's like lining up for a drag race you never know which way it's going to go and that's kind of been my mentality in all of this um we're going to give it our best go at it and and we have and we've received the results that we have um but what happens next is you know kind of out of my hands i can't buy the racetrack i wish i could because i would tomorrow but all i know is if that racetrack ever opened there would be a sea of people just waiting to get back in and it would probably be like no other race there held before Absolutely. Um, so is, is there any chance that the county could get involved in maybe an ownership role i know you know in my community down there i live in tucson arizona and after Tucson Dragway, the original Tucson Dragway closed in 1985, uh, a number of years later, the county planners saw the need and decided to build a racetrack that is actually part of the county fairgrounds property. So, you know, that the government, the county government basically donated the property, got the track built. Uh, it's been run by a couple of different people. Jim Hughes now is the guy that runs it, but they need to generate income for the fairgrounds, generate income for and it's been a great relationship because we got a racetrack back and it's a tremendous facility and the street racers have a place to go. And Jim's been very active down here in reaching out to the street racers and the people about come on out to the track. Let's figure out whatever you want to do. Um, some of the programs they run out there are uh, a little unorthodox maybe, but that's what the street racers want. And that's what he, that's what he's offering. He's like, just come out here. We'll figure out a way to make it work. But the fact that the racetrack sits on fairgrounds property or county government land. Is there any possibility that your local government could get involved in some kind of a role like that? I mean, to me, yes, absolutely. I've worked for a government where they had these things called P3s and it's private public partnerships. So it's a partnership with the government and private entities that would come in and they would work together um, and not only provide a community uh, facility, but also, you know, make money off of it, too. So it's a win-win. Um, this is something I have said from the get-go, that a P3 would be um, absolutely amazing for this uh, situation that we have. But 
it depends because, you know, it then comes in the land value and all of that sort of thing. So the idea of it, absolutely. I think it's incredible. Um, I wish it happens. And, um, you know, it's something that we can maybe keep the conversation going with the county to see if that is something that we could, you know, go down. So. Well, it was surrounded by, from what I understand, to be protected wetlands. Um, it makes sense that they could get involved and just buy that chunk of land, let it be what it is for the time being and protect all of it. But regardless of how this ends up, Madeline, regardless of how it ends up, the fight is what matters. And I remember so many people telling you, and I heard it from a lot of people myself, don't bother. You'll never win. You can't win. You can't stop it. You can't stop progress. And, uh, and, and we slowed it down. And then right now it's on hold. And I'm sure you've made a couple of enemies uh, through this as well, no doubt. <laughs> but your hard work for the sport of drag racing is what I appreciate the most. And so I encourage everybody to follow that Facebook group and follow you. And please continue to come back and keep us informed. And we'll lean on our uh, thick-heeled friends, me and Alan. We'll <laughs> lean on them. Right, Alan? We're going to try to Sure, you bet. What, what do we think this is going to take? Like 50, 60 million? Alan Reinhardt, reach in your pocket, man. Come on. Stop messing around. If they'll take a check, I'll write a check. There it is. <laughs> it may bounce, but. <laughs> you know him, obviously. You know my friend. <laughs> Madeline, thank you so much. I really appreciate your effort that you're putting in. And uh, please tweet out that information or put it up on your social. And uh, everyone will go and follow it. And I'll, I'll, I'll push it out as well with the commissioners. They need to know that it's a culture it's a positive culture it's a hard-working culture and all the things that they want to teach young kids nowadays like we need to teach these kids these values this is where you learn it you learn it at the drag strip and um it's it's forever good so i appreciate you and thank you for coming on the show absolutely thank you joe and thank you for you know inviting me and all that you've done as well so don't don't think that goes unnoticed either so thank, thank you. you oh no i'm 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 trying i'm just like you you're the perfect face for this madeline you're the perfect face for this right it's it, obviously it's working so keep on going thank you so thank much you. thank you so much hey i'm i'm not a facebooker but shoot me an email announcer at nhra.com i'd like to exchange contact information absolutely that sounds great thank you alan Excellent. Excellent. There she goes. There goes Madeline. Madeline, thank you so much. She's she's on point. She works in local government. She's the daughter of a drag racer. She is a drag racer herself, and she is getting results. Is, is the track going to be saved? Are we going to all be there? I don't know. But people said six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago, there was zero chance, and there is more than zero chance. And so we're going to fight with her. All right, alongside. Alan, great job. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Uh, appreciate it. And thanks for letting me hang around that last bit, too. That's very interesting stuff. And uh, it, and it's been interesting to watch because you said, uh, you know, well, kind of like what people are talking about, about Wild Horse. A year ago, I would have told you I was about 99% sure it was gone. Uh, now I'm not quite that sure. I'm certainly not saying that it's saved, but I'm not, uh, I'm not quite as sure that it's going to disappear. So I'll so get my fingers crossed for that one, too. The, the lesson that I have learned, and this is this is true for everybody out there, for your local track, like Alan's got a national event track, Palm Beach International Raceway, I would call it a mid-level track. Um, but doing nothing definitely doesn't work. So many racers just said, do nothing, give up. That doesn't work. Writing letters, showing up at the meetings, and respectfully conveying what you what is in your heart. It, it's not guaranteed to work, but it definitely works a lot better than doing nothing. And um, 
And that's what we proved down here in South Florida. So we'll see what happens. We'll keep watching. All right, Alan. Thank you so much. You bet. See you. There he goes, Alan Reinhardt, the voice of the National Hot Rod Association, and Madeline Marconi doing a great job as well. Super excited about that. We got to get, we got to find a buyer, is what it is. That's really what I think needs to happen is we need to find a buyer. We need to find someone that is willing to invest in South Florida, a very investable place and very close to an airport, a racetrack that's got a road course. Think about driving clubs. Think about um, could there be an NHRA divisional event there? Let's make it an NHRA track could there be a, a southern florida national event at a different time than gainesville later on in the year yeah anything is possible we got to save this racetrack it's a beautiful all concrete quarter mile the track part the expensive part the hard part is already there it's already there it's right across from pratt and whitney with the testing like jet engines and rockets at 3 a.m in the morning like it's set up this thing should never been on the block as an investment uh, the, there are neighbors. They're used to a track. They're not used to warehouses and 5,000 trucks rolling in and out every day, rolling in and out. Not a good idea. All right, guys, I want your comments in the comments section. I want to hear what you have to say. And in the meantime, I'm going to tell you about a couple of things like our Patreon membership at the start of the year. We've been pushing it. We even created a new show called Hear It from Heiner, all about pro stock, Michael Heiner talking about the personalities and the tech side and the round by round and all of it. If you love pro stock, there is no better program than hear it from Heiner about the inner workings of pro stock over the last 20 years. So check out uh, patreon.com slash WFO radio, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash WFO radio. Remember tomorrow, Garlets, we got big daddy Don Garlets. Speaking of Floridians who know a little something about drag racing. He's going to talk John Forrest, Shelly Anderson, Payne, Ron Adbury, Bunny Burkett, Graham Cowan, Sonny Messner, the Knapp brothers, Bob Fry and Linda Jones. This is going to be big. And if you want to go, it's almost, I think it's sold out except WFO radio. We have a table and I'm going to be giving away two tickets, but you got to listen for how to win. You got to watch every show to find out how to get yourself over there. Only good for people of Gainesville and you got to pay for your own travel. Come on now. Project Pontiac is moving on. I have been besieged by requests for a t-shirt with this on it. Besieged. I mean, there's been a lot of people asking for it. We are working on the car and I'm excited to report things are advancing. Let me tell you about the people who make WFO radio possible, guys. This is genuine. You might not need them now but you'll need them at some time in the future. And these are the people that keep me on the air. I tell you about Rodax coffee all the time. It's not vacuum packed, cheap stuff in the grocery store. It's next level coffee from all around the world. You buy it full bean, you grind it yourself. You don't have to, but that's how I choose to do it. And it is a next level coffee experience. If you're a coffee file, I know there's everybody's got a coffee sponsor nowadays, but I've had mine for 10 years. His name is Marvin Rodak. And here's how you get a hold of him. 817 924-6821. Marvin Rodak, drag racer, good guy, coffee, grills, tools, tips, information. It's amazing. Down there in Fort Worth, Texas, where we will be for our big Patreon meetup at the Stampede of Speed in 2023. Frank Hawley's Drag Racing School, the Dragster Adventure. Frank and Lana have been around for a long time on WFO, one of our earliest sponsors. And so many of our listeners, they do the Dragster Adventure. They go drive dragsters. They pay 
a nominal amount of money for an experience that you'll be thinking about and it'll be right there in your heart for the rest of your life. You'll be telling people about. They can set up a race. They can do a, a team building experience for you and your sales guys or you and your best clients or you and your buddies. They can even set up a race. Go to frankhawley.com. Samtech, this is a little different. Super cool that Brian Massengill is on board with WFO Radio because I am very passionate about the next generation of Americans, of drag racers, of can-do, hands-on kind of people. Like, where are they coming from? Where are they coming from? And the answer is we need to create them. We need to create them. All these drag racers didn't happen by accident. Whereas we've got a very clear history that is directly related to everybody kind of getting uprooted from their lives and having to fight in World War II. That's where everybody got all these skills to go and work. And Garlitz talks about it all the time, dodging bullets. And then they come back and life was different. And they wanted to race, wanted to go fast. They wanted to do exciting things, right? Sam Tech is educating the next generation of wrench turners, but more importantly, machinists and also CNC machine programmers. This is all happening at samtech.edu. If you are a relatively young person or a veteran, um, you can use your GI Bill there, but this is a career that is needed and a career that once you have it, it is appreciated. Samtech.edu. Call Massengill. Tell him. Costello told me. Bernie Speed Shop. This is a little different. We got the big open house on Wednesday before the Gator National. So if you're planning on going to the Gators, get there on Wednesday. And like in a perfect world, you'd go to the World Series of Pro Mod. And just stay in Florida all week is really what would happen. And you would finish up at the Gator Nationals and go home on uh, Monday night after you went to Garlitz. But go to Bernie's Wednesday, 6 p.m., right before the Gator Nationals, and check out American Classic Horsepower. Josh Hart got another spare car. He got a bunch of stuff going on here in 2023. That second year, you know, they call it a jinx. The guy made a couple of final rounds, had a pretty darn good year, finished in the top 10 but I'm very excited to see what he does in 2023. Phillips Connect, if you have trucks and trailers going over the road, you should reach out to me, Joe, at WFORadio.com, and I will put you together with the folks at Phillips Connect. Phillips-connect.com, whether it be sensors, connected sensors that sense your load, lights, weights, uh, temperatures, all of these things, tire pressures, air tanks, brakes, all of these things are covered by the smart trailer technology. So you need to get connected with your transportation business. Why? Efficiency and safety. Think of how valuable it is to know that something might be going wrong with one of the trucks before some sort of crazy damage happens to a community, to an individual. It's better to know. Go to phillips-connect.com. FTI Performance, Transmissions and Torque Converters. Oh, yes, they're located in DeLand, Florida. Power Glides for the Dot 90 racers and bracket racers, for top dragster, for top sportsmen. They do Pro Mod. They do three speeds. I was told if you're going to run big power, you got to run FTI. Street Cars, Pro Mod, you know, Sick Week is going on. I'm sure many of them have got FTI Performance, Transmissions and Torque Converters uh, running in their very powerful Dragon Drive cars. Kevin McKenna is down there racing. He was racing at Orlando Speed World, which is kind of cool. FTI performance transmissions and torque converters. And Kevin and FTR are not related. It was just an anecdote. Fog it. 
This is a product that anybody can buy right now. This is what I love because it's a consumer product. I've got my can here. This is for display purposes. I've got one in the garage that before I sent my engine in a crate, I sprayed as much fog it as I could on the cylinder walls inside the intake ports and the exhaust ports to protect it as best as I could. Microscopic corrosion and rust starts immediately. You put your vehicle away. You put your very expensive, finely tuned racing engine away for the night in a hot box trailer in a very humid area. What do you think happens inside those cylinder walls? Condensation immediately. Immediately. You got to fog it down. That's the way to protect your work. And oh, by the way, mid-eliminations, think about it as a, a competitor. You've just won second round. Next, tomorrow morning is going to be third round. You want everything inside that engine to be as similar as it was yesterday. Fog it down with fog it. Go to the website, follow them on YouTube. And then Total Seal Piston Rings. I was talking to Hartford this morning. I'm like, so when are we going to see the new look, Total Seal Camaro? And he's like, well, you know, and he gives me this whole song and a dance. I think I got scooped by NHRA is what's going to happen. It's all right. I get it. TotalSeal.com. We will be at Total Seal coming up uh, following the Arizona Nationals. We're going to broadcast live from there. But it's all an exercise to let you know about Ring Seal, guys. Ring Seal is vital. If I've learned anything doing the Hidden Horsepower podcast, which hopefully you're all subscribed to, to learn about this, to learn about these rock star engine builders, Ring Seal is very important. Like I always knew Ring Seal was important, but now I understand it's the most important. Because if you can't get sealed up, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters, which is uh, amazing. So thank you, Total Seal. And those are the people who make it possible. If you go to our website, the WFO store page, uh, you'll find this address. All you got to do is send me a self-addressed stamped envelope, and I'm sending you stickers for free. That's right. I don't mind sending out stuff for free. Just save me the busy work. I can't write your address and all that stuff. You got to do it yourself. Send me a self-addressed stamped envelope to Castello Media WFO Stickers, P.O. Box 848-353, Pembroke Pines, Florida, 33084. And I will send you back some stickers, and we're getting closer and closer. All right, I've stalled long enough. What do the commenters have to say? They all want to know how to get a hold of Madeline Marconi. This is what it is. And save the track. No, I totally, uh, totally agree. We got to save the track. Robert Ledbetter. I know this guy. This guy's a racer down in my area. Let's see. My opinion is that we need more performance people, companies higher on the food chain to help support all our local tracks out there may help the local government officials know it isn't just a small bunch of local racers that have an interest in going fast, uh, but something bigger. Very true, Robert. Very true. But think of all the companies that were in South Florida, Crane Cams, countless others. There are many others that are there. I think Scorpion, uh, Wilson Manifolds, many high performance companies already in the South Florida community. And where, where did they go? Think about Heads by Rick, Rick Rapp, very great engine builder. When they closed Miami Hollywood, he moved to Vegas. And now he's got a great shop right outside the Las Vegas trap track out there. People in the high performance industry go to where racetracks are and they're not going to go somewhere where they are not. And that's the problem. Miami Hollywood Speedway should have never been closed. It was closed because of Hurricane Andrew and everybody needed housing. And so they made a quick deal on what was a historical landmark. And now it, you can't even imagine 
where it once was. It's a movie theater. It's in the middle of urban sprawl. But we should have never lost that. There should have been a drag strip built at Homestead Miami Speedway. Unfortunately, the local community made the track early on say, you know, we won't build a drag strip. There were plans for a drag strip at Homestead Miami Speedway, but they never were realized. And now that land is gone. But high performance industry can't survive if there's no racetrack as a cornerstone. That's part of it. And that's why so many people moved away. It's very, uh, it's very terrible. But your point is well taken. And we got to find a way. You can't have, I don't know how many people are in South Florida. But we are the third most popular state. And I think it's something around like 6 million. And we have, I don't know, man, the second best car culture in the country behind California, right? Like they've got car culture number one, and then there's us. And I don't know that anybody else, you know, Houston has got a great car culture, but we could use a track. And not only could we use one, we could need, we need one. And not only do we need one, Whoever opens a track and runs it to try to make money, like to try, like the guys that had it before, they weren't trying. They had, they had an investment and they were like, you know, we don't want to mess it out. We don't keep it for when the time is right and we'll sell it and we'll make money, turn it into warehouses. Yeah. And uh, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like if, if the Bader family, if the Bader family bought Palm Beach and retired to South Florida and ran the track, the way they run their track. <laughs> they would, you have no idea how much money they would make. It's twisted. Just on track rentals. The guys with Ferraris. Oh, my gosh. Everyone's saying thank you, Madeline. Thanks, Joe and Alan. Everybody's loving it. Nice show, guys. Happy Valentine's Day. Yes, happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. Happy Valentine's to you and your loved ones. Hope you go on a wonderful uh, Valentine's Day uh, date tonight and you you know send your loved one one of those bears. It can happen. Capital Raceway, Crofton, Maryland was saved last year. Way to go, Clayton. Exactly. I have uh, animosity, slight animosity to all the people in my local racer community that discouraged trying to save the track and i you know i could have wrote their names on a list of people that and then called them out like you know reggie remember when you told us to stop and to not bother because you know the government is corrupt and all kinds of stuff right like i remember just seeing so many discouraging discouraging things don't fight for what you believe in don't try to save the racetrack don't get your energy up it's all gonna just fail and you'll be your heart I remember seeing a lot of comments like that. And it's such an antithesis to what Madeline is doing. And like, who am I going to support, right? Like people like that or people like her. And Wild Horse Pass. What they've got there, there are not a lot of them. It's a racetrack right next to a casino. Like they could probably figure a way for everybody to be happy with this highway. Like have the highway go over it and have it be like something like Formula One in Singapore. Like we're racing under a highway. That's fine. It'd be loud. Jimmy, thank you for the stickers in the letter that you sent me. Thank you, Jimmy. Yes. You wrote me a nice letter, Jimmy. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening and watching the show. Monica, great show today. Thank you. Well, hey, guys, who's coming on tomorrow? Big Daddy Don Garlitz. Where can you watch? 
You can watch right here. The link is already up all over our social media. I need you to share it. Can't wait till Gainesville. Me either. Hope Phoenix stays for a long time. I've not been there yet. I agree, Blake. Big Daddy. Cool. Yeah, cool. Better than cool. Everyone's loving Madeline. Taylor Boy, Tony Stewart news is extremely exciting for the sport. Absolutely. Can't overstate it. Tony Stewart, you cannot overstate it. Huge deal. The alcohol dragster competitors, like they, like they got new meat to go after. Everyone's going to try to get a win on Tony Stewart, man. It's like, hey, man, I'm going to try to beat up on Smoke. There's only one who's done it so far. Hurricane Racing was the entity that saved Capital Raceway, PBIR. Uh, needs a financial champion business owner. Contact all the current owners of drag strips that currently own NHRA Top Fuel Nitro event. Yes. To roll into the county with X million dollars. And this is not, this is prime South Florida region here. You are not far from beaches. You're not far from the airport. You're right in the middle of it all. It could, they could have a national event if they had the land, if they worked out some things. Um, it's a great investment. Someone with a lot of money needs to get in on this and do something that's altruistic, that's positive. Save a drag strip. Spend the money. Save a drag strip. Maybe we could put together an ownership group, you know, like a couple of people that each have a stake but actually buy a drag strip and actually say, no, we're not letting this one die. We're not letting the sprawl, the unnecessary sprawl of warehouses continue. No, that can happen. KB Racing Team is about 400 feet from Mooresville Drag Strip, the starting line. I heard they have a key to the gate A. Yeah, no, I know. They're, they're doing a bunch of stuff out there. Joe, give us some dark horses for Pro Stock Top Field Funny Car that we need to keep our eye on. Looking forward to this season. Looking forward to the year. I think it's going to be a great year. That's a great, uh, great point there, Taylor. But we're at the end of this show. The good news is there's always another WFO, and we will do that. We'll do some dark horses because now that you've asked for it, uh, I want to put some deep thought into it. Like Buddy Hall with Mike Googer doing the tuning is a great, like he's a privateer team. He's trying to get involved. He's trying to figure out how to run the whole season. He's definitely got financial resources and drive, but you don't just do it. You got to do it with the right people. So first he wants to make sure he's got a fast car that can compete on a regular basis and not kill parts. And then he's going to evolve. But that's a great question. Taylor will delve into it in the future please subscribe and click the bell bring wfo stickers to gainesville i will i will bring wfo stickers i promise i'll have wfo stickers on me every moment of the entire gainesville and world series of pro mod uh, back to back lost memphis motorsports park last year i wished it was uh here because all the nhra races there from 88 to 2009 once you lose it it's not coming back so you got to fight for it Co-op racetracks are possible. Cameron Crusoe, Clay Milliken, and Alexis DeJoria. None of those are dark horses, by the way. None of them are dark horses. Simple as that. All right, guys. Happy Valentine's Day. Frank Aragona. Man, this guy. was always great to me. Him and his pop. I would always swing by, say hi. People are hurting. And I have a good personal friend. 
Ryan Fuzz Richie, who is fighting right now in hospice for his life. And, you know, whenever we did race car stuff, he would come. He was a gas man at Miami Hollywood Speedway in the final years of that racetrack. And when I needed someone to tune the GTO, he, you know, he worked at Samtech. He came out and visited me at Houston. And he, all of a sudden, he's hanging out with the Massengills, and then he's working there. It was amazing. Came and tuned the GTO. GTO went 12.85. That was all fuzz. Guy's fighting for his life right now. He's like as close. You know, I've got a group of friends that were like my brothers. They were like, I'm an only child. They were, they were as closest to my brothers as I could be. And now um, and one of them is younger than me. He's having a tough go of it. And Frankie. And you got people around you. Look at Jeff. Jeff, who has fought cancer and is winning. There's someone around you that you love and they you haven't called them for a while. You should do it. Doesn't have to be long. It can be short. Just stay, stay connected. Stay connected to them. But man, my buddy Fuzz. Tough stuff. But it ain't over yet. Keep fighting, buddy. All right, guys. Garlets tomorrow. WFO. We're going to have a great year on this show. We're going to have a lot of fun at the NHRA. Hopefully you're all involved. If you're in Kansas, it's going to be at the D5 Banquet. I'll see you there this weekend. Thanks to Madeline. Thanks to Alan. And most importantly, thanks to all of you. You guys are really what keep this show going. Thank you so much. WFO.